Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Middle Eastern Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Tuol Mende, the host of the channel, and today we'll be talking to Laila Sharin Sakar about her new book, Arabic Lich, Technoculture, Data Bodies and Archives. Welcome to the show, Laila. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. Thank you very much. Let's start maybe with the first question, like, um, can you tell us a bit about yourself? How did you came to the place where you are right now? And um, how did you come start writing this book, basically? Well, my background, thank you for the, that question. My, back, my background is, um, I was born in Egypt, uh, grew up in the United States primarily. Um, and in my early uh young adulthood <laughs> i was um in washington dc uh had just done a master's degree in arab studies at georgetown and was uh do writing poetry on the streets um doing in spoken word cafes and in activist among activist circles it was a very uh lively time this is around the end of the late 90s early 21st century early aughts, and um, a lot happened, including 9-11, including the election of 2000, when there was a discrepancy between Al Gore and, and George Bush, if you recall, and they had to recount the votes all the way until the 9-11 attacks. I was in Washington, D.C. when that happened. And then, of course, the U.S. response with this global war on Iraq under a false pretenses that Saddam Hussein had um, weapons of mass destructions. We went to Iraq, we went to Afghanistan, and that continued for 20 years. And here we are today, somewhat in the aftermath of all of that. So anyhow, so I started with that. Um, I was an act- I was an artist, a poet, activist in D.C., and my role was in building websites. I was building websites since the early 1990s. I did a lot of graphic design. And from there, I quickly was aware of a lot of the Arab blogosphere growing online. And um, and I um, wanted to archive the internet in Arabic. And so I start, took on a huge endeavor, went back to do an MFA, went to UCSC, where I started uh, archiving um, on on Gaza in 2008. That's where it started. Um, and I called this project our sheaf, our hyphen sheaf. And that is the Arabic word, or actually it's a francophone Arabic word for archive. And that archive continued, continues till today, but it grew to become something much larger. But after that, so that archive, and as well as my... Um, cyber, my cyborg persona, Vijay Om Emad, grew from that moment in, at UCSC, and they were both huge projects that 
uh, took me into my PhD. I continued, and then, um, he, and then as a, as a, a pr- assistant professor, as an a professor now associate professor at UC Santa Barbara, this book basically was my was what I. Uh, some people call it the tenure book, but you know, it's what came out of all of that research. Actually, I, I really wanted to write the book because my research is um, multi, has, is multimodal and I do a lot of creative scholarship. Uh, some things are in exhibitions, some things are software. They, they, they're not all textual and bound into a book. And so sometimes it's hard to get those ideas across to the multitude of audiences that I'm actually really mindfully trying to address. And so the book, I think, is a cogent way for me to explain what I've been doing and why I've been doing what I've been doing for the last uh, few decades and also to theorize, um, you know, what, why and what matters and to offer a few new theoretical uh, scaffolding for continued research, thinking, activism, making, living in this world, heavily sedatedly mediated world that we are in today. Yes, great. Thank you so much. (laughs) And um, coming to the book, can you maybe explain to us a bit the title, what you mean by Arabic glitch and um how uh, it fits into your overall research maybe sure um so often we think of glitch as a as a negative thing uh, one of a previous title of this book was the good glitch which i still wonder if that would have been a title but i don't have a by i mean the problem with the good glitch is that uh, Ontologically, epistemologically, I don't see binary, and this good bad thing just doesn't work. <laughs> it just doesn't hold up. I can't hold it throughout a book, and so that's why I did it. But it's a fun play. It's a fun play. It's catchy, but it also implies it's also taking the idea of the glitch and making it a tool. This ability, the glitch, meaning that which interrupts a system. Uh, an electrical system, a media system, a political system, something that's procedural, that has a flow, right? One thing happens and then another thing happens, another thing happens. And if you interrupt the flow, the flow continues. It just glitches and it gives you something that's unintended. I call it a digital banana peel in my book. And, you know, that's what it is. Um, Now, we think of glitches as negative because... It interrupts what you intended to do. Um, And so for the maker or the seller or, I don't know, the owner, (laughs) the person behind them, this creating the system, the person for whom the system is created, not everybody, right? That's whom the system is. The systems are not created for everybody. They're created for some. And if you glitch that system, that some will not get what they expected to get. In other words, it can be used for political um, uh, uh, movements, um, social shifting, changes, interruptions, a shift of narrative, a shift of politics or economic or whatever system that you're trying to deviate from. Um, 
And it all sometimes offers you something beautiful. We now have something called glitch aesthetics. You probably are familiar with what glitches you use them on your phones. There's like a filter, one's a glitch and it's like, now it's become this aesthetic, but, um, so it's, it's, but it looks like it's not, it looks like something's broken. Okay. So I'm basically take, so, so my theorization of glitch is a complicated one. So I take this idea of the digital banana peel and I say, this is a tool that activists have used in really powerful ways from coding to political systems, to create cultural spaces. And all of that is political activism. All of that is the revolutionary change. It's from the technology and the politics and the art, all of that together. Um, and glitch is a tool, a, a, is a theoretical method, procedural method of doing that. Now, I, I use the word Arabic because I also situate this kind of political or digital activism or political change as centered and grounded. Zero, ground zero is the Arabic speaking world. And I use the word Arabic not Arab, because <clears throat> this is very language-based. A lot of the archives that I'm dealing with are social media archives that are, that are uh, you know, come out of a person in one part of the world, but tr- goes through data centers around the world and disseminated on different places in very uneven ways. It's much more complicated than a place. Um, it impacts places, but my research is really about the book is about looking at the um, Arabic language and how that Arabic language is glitched, but it's also referring to the Arabic speaking world, which is within the Arab world and with, and beyond, if that makes sense. So what I'm arguing is that this Arabic glitch is a, in this book, that Arabic glitch is a um, theoretical tool that um that is <clears throat> that that is um that was used by uh during the arab uprisings of 2011 for the first time in the ways that it was that off, that then got uh uh picked up and used again and again in different digital uh, movements across the world hong kong Brazil, Spain, BLM, and even uh, I end the book with a conservative use with the uh, January 6th Capitol riots. So that's the sort of framing I I use through the title. Yes, and um, while reading the book, uh, I thought it was very complex and, and uh, addressed a lot of issues. And for um, which audience did you had in mind uh, while writing this book? I think this is the most that was the most challenging part for me. That's why if I I have I have schizophrenia in the book. I I teach I, I teach I talk as I have multiple voices that I use literally as a narrative technique um, or as a narrative. Uh, method. I, I I speak as Vijay Om Emel and I speak as myself as Leila. And then I I also have this uh, idea of the uh, community authorship, which is everybody who's online. Uh, 
So on the one hand, like I said, I, I do want to, on the one hand, I'm speaking to people in my fields. And if there are multiple fields, I would say, of course, it is media studies, Middle East studies, and art and technology or, or the arts more broadly, digital arts, technical um, media arts of practice more specifically. Um, but also, and more importantly, that's sort of one scholarly audience, and I'm giving you the more specific which scholarly audience, but also computer scientists. It's a very transdisciplinary project. So scholars, um, activists, and artists, practitioners, and a general audience. I think we, I think today, especially right now, I'm very aware of the fact that it's that we can we are living in, in such a ultra saturated mediated wor- world that people cannot not know um, people cannot not know so oh, anybody who who participates in social media which is a broad audience and of course it's written in english which is i'm very uh, attentive and very aware of uh, linguistic boundaries and i um, don't know what to do with that yet and how to get beyond that boundary. But that's why I guess I use artistic mediums. So an English speaking audience, but it's, I'm also looking at a general audience. So that's the trick and being able to speak to all these audiences. I don't know that I uh, actually in, was able to do so, but that was my desire for sure. <laughs> And you talked already um, about VGOML and uh, Archive. Um, how did these two uh, projects, I would say right now, help you to write Arabic glitch in a way? Wow. Well, I don't know how it would have been. It mm. wouldn't have been Arabic glitch without those two projects. <sighs> so the way I envision, you know, we have as... As artists and scholars, we have different methodologies. People use a variety of methodologies, and in, in, in scholarship, there's we even teach those methodologies, like you know ethnography as a methodology and archival historic historical practices, and um, and so my methodology is one of practice art practices. So in many ways, Avijay Om Amal and Arshif were my research methods and my research itself. That was in and of itself also a had a had a was had an output a, a, something that I produced, but it was a process, and that process was that process of um, conceiving of um, an Arabic speaking cyborg that's a mother, and that's a VJ as someone as a as a as an agent and performing that aid that that subjectivity online and and offline because there's no digital divide. So being able to perform as Vijay Om Emel in all those spaces as one helped me think about the, the impact of the, the, the fact help me understand the erasure of any divides between what we do in these networked spheres and what we do in our embodied practices and real lives. Um, 
so it helped me with that. And Archif, you know, it was a pro, is a digital archive. I but more in addition to being a digital archive, it was a digital archive, and something that I where we. Uh, created a series of cultural analytics and data visualizations. And we were able to use the archive to build software apps and tools, including some machine learning software in Arabic. So it was a, you know, these were projects that were prolific and generative in many ways. Um, And they were like sandboxes where I was able to play around with ideas but really get my hands in on it and see if they worked and what happened. And then the theoretical, the ideas emerged afterwards, right? The book came out of those practices in many ways. So that's why I said, I don't know if I could have, I didn't have the idea of the book first, right? I did this and then, you know, you know, some really important um, ideas came to my mind that I needed to communicate and learn things I learned along the way. Mm-hmm. Yes, and um, it interests me how you see yourself. Do you see yourself more as a scholar or more like an artist or both of them? So what would you describe yourself more? Oh, you know, I don't, these things are not measurable in, in those ways. There, I can't, I can't do that, this more than that. They, they both exist they both exist very much, very strongly. So, you know, I, you know, I think the ability to hold that, you know, the idea, I guess, what's the word, you know, some people think of things as a pie and if you take some out, you just have what's left. And I don't see that. I see abundant generative ways of being. I see I'm, I can hold both at the same time very well. And, and I, it makes sense to me. So I'm wholly artist and wholly scholar. If that's, a, if that's, if that's a, something that we can conceive and, and, and understand. Yes. Um, and you write about some activists in the book as well. Um, and which person inspired you the most while working on Arabic Glitch? And uh, who are the most important persons for you that you talked about in the book? Yeah, there's a whole community of them. Um, there are, you know, so... If I go back, um, how I, you know, I think I've, my work has, my, my lens has been one through, through, I, through which I see politics everywhere. So the, 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 the role of the activist to me seems something that we should all be, is a role that we all should inhabit, regardless of what else we do in our life, because our lives are so highly political. And I see that that's something that, like I said, I think that's something that we should all be doing. So, and I have, <clears throat> I guess, consi- done actions since I was at high, you know, very young at a very young age. So this has been with me for a long time, but in 2008, when I said, when I told you, I wanted to <laughs> had the quite ambitious, I have to say, desire to archive the internet in Arabic, which is You know, it was a smaller space back then. I have it really was, but it was an ambitious project. I turned to at the time. I went to there's a platform called um, Drupal, and there were it's an open source platform where you see 
the Arab uh, get, uh, software to use Arabic online. Now, getting Arabic on an inter- sorry, let me backtrack. In the history of the internet in 2008, the internet was in English primarily, and many languages were not working on on what we call the World Wide Web back then. And it was at that time when there was suddenly more languages appeared because the computer works through, um, it sees characters and then it translates that through encoded, through coding systems. And so English works um, is encoded and decoded using ASCII. Arabic is encoded and decoded using UTF-8. These are two different coding systems and they need to be incorporated in the computer Da, da, dee, da, da, da. And that those are just two languages, and there's all the languages in the world are done differently. Not all of them, but I mean the depending on the characters and depending on the semant- the sort of more the structure of the language. So <clears throat> back then to archive the internet in Arabic meant that I had to work with the most up-and-coming tools. And so I reached out to an open source group of techies who ended up growing, turned out to also be highly political and were the involved with the up Arab uprisings in various ways there on the streets. But this was 2008 and I uh, was in, con- I was in California, but I was in contact with Manel uh, Bahiyadeen. Well, I would say perhaps maybe she's had the most impact on me. Um, she's now I think um, in the UK doing her graduate work in feminist studies. She's a feminist. She's one of the strong, she's a superhero. She's my superhero. She's, she's out there, batala, wearing a cape. Uh, she's, a, she's a computer scientist um, from Ain Shems, I think is where, no, where, where is it? Cairo University. I can't remember, but she's a computer scientist and she, um, was involved with a lot of the Arab techies in Cairo. She was married to Ala Abdel Fattah, who is the prominent um, activist, blogger, and also a software programmer who has been imprisoned for many, many years. They have a son together named Khalid. And um, yeah, she's been involved in various ways and, and, and again, to help build the open source community, build websites in Arabic and really build a, a robust, vibrant community um, of, of culture that is online. And it was a really vibrant, exciting space, you know, to see such new ideas and also, you know, interactive media, um, creative work, it was just a very, it was like a renaissance of, of, of back then. And um, it was very short-lived. <laughs> yeah. And there were many, many, many people involved. I just mentioned Manal. You asked me one name. But, of course, this, is a, this was a, a group of activists who you've still kept in touch and were still close. And people have come and gone. Some have really... We've, it's been now how many years? 13 years. Um, and in this moment, I'm finding and there's a new moment that we're living through right now uh, between the genocide um, on the Palestinians by the Israelis 
incited by uh, October 7th. In addition to this, uh, you know, one will say, you know, new generation of technology, machine learning and AI, which one could, you know, ask to what extent does the new technology impact the way in which these attack, recent, most recent attacks on Gaza have been so uh, horrifically escalated in these, on, in, on these, at this level, this is next level. We are at another point. So yes. uh, I just wonder to what extent does the ideas of the book continue and have us make us think through the current moment? Exactly. And um, while uh, looking back at 2008 and now, how much do you think had the blogosphere changed or the ways in which they uh, worked? Well, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, it would be worth doing a, a, a sort of a, a new study of Substack. I think the platforms have changed. You know, it's not really the technology or the platforms, it's the politics that's the most important in the and the groups and the organizing people. The network sphere is not as networked. We have since gone through quite a bit of in terms of, you know, authoritarian regimes around the world, conservative movements rising here everywhere, in addition to climate catastrophes including COVID. And, you know, here we are. So it's a very different time. And I think that's really what has changed all of that. And when we talk about the blogosphere, I think there's still people, right? There's still so much, there's still prolific work out there to be archived. And I'm considering how to do that now, but the platforms, the people, they're, they're in different places. It's no longer where it's, you know, it's no longer where it used to be. You know, Twitter is now X, Facebook is sort of defunct. Uh, blogosphere is now on Substack. You know what's Instagram and tic- there's TikTok as well. So there's different things to look at. Um, but I think uh, it's vibrant. I think it's still vibrant. But we're also dealing with a time of silencing. And uh, again, I think that the technology and the level of, um, you know. The, the the degree to which it is is just so sophisticated right now. It's frightening <laughs> in some and, ways. And while researching and writing the book, what um, difficulties or challenges did you come across per, on a personal level? Oh. I think the hardest was when writing the book in so much retrospect after, you know, We had so much hope. <laughs> I'm using that word very purposefully um, at the time. It, and there was such a denouement, like it's, it went up and then everything went down. There was such a counter revolution, such a, such a conservative moment. I was writing in that period. And so that was perhaps the hardest was to try to speak for something that was short lived and you, and, but to put, to give it in the broader history. I also have done work. I I'd find myself more future looking and look thinking about speculative futuring. The fact that it was done over such a long period of time uh, over which so much change had happened. And I was writing um, after the, having done certain research. And so hence the conclusion ended a little bit differently. 
I, I mean, one doesn't write the conclusion until after the book is written anyhow. So you never know how that's going to, to look. And um, coming to the last question, like, uh, what are you working right now? Are you still working on Arabic glitch uh, in different forms or are you uh, working on a completely different project now? Um, no, I think I'm working on Arabic glitch next level. Like it's, it's, uh, there's a new archiving pro process. I'm just beginning, um, in terms of like our chief, um, our chief X, <laughs> um, it's going to take some time to materialize. Um, in terms of creative projects, I am working on a, a video game series called data bodies, which is speculative futuristic, um, Hopefully that more on that will come out next year. And I'm working on a new, like I'm, I'm working on a, a new manuscript. I don't have um, a title, um, but definitely it's taking, it's just continuing from where I left off, frankly. Um, I needed to get that book out, but there's so much more to, 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 to build on, especially given the current political moment, as well as Like I said, these new technologies, which, you know, if, if social media was, it was generation three, where we were curating, where, where the platforms like Facebook and Twitter were curating human content, this generation of computational technology is generating our content. It was just curating content that we made. Now it's generating the content for us. That's the difference. But it's so, what I'm most concerned about is that I'm still, you know, the lessons, people have not even under, begun to understand the impact of, of social media. And now we have these new technologies, which are really sort of really build on it, couldn't have existed without social media yet we don't, people don't know what, what they're doing. <laughs> They don't really understand. There's a lack of critical thinking. Um, yet there's these, these technologies, interactive media become colloquial in everyone's living rooms on everyone's multi, multiple monitors. I mean, I already have two right here, three and four. I have four monitors right now. I, I mean, I'm one person. I only have two eyeballs. I mean, I don't know really <laughs> if you think about it. It's like, It's something. Yes. Uh, thank you so much, Leila, for being on the podcast. And it was really interesting to get to know you and your work uh, about Arabic Lich. Thank you thank so you much. Too. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I appreciate it.